Well, good morning, Community of Grace. Good to see you, good to be with you, and good to be continuing on this journey that we are on together, a journey of grace. We are continuing in our current sermon series entitled Grace in Every Corner, and that is a summary of our vision statement, which is to see grace in every corner of our community. It's a little play on words, of course. We are a community of grace. That's the intent. And we're community when we come together and are with each other, sharing that love of Jesus with one another. But there is a community beyond this community. There's a community that we interact with in many different ways, some of them as mission partners, some of them as as places of of work and of service, and, and others of them, well, they're the places where every one of you are called to be. They're your corner. Or your particular corner in the workplace or in your home or in your neighborhood or in your school. That is your corner, and we want to make sure that that corner is covered with God's grace. And that's why we are exploring this together. What does it mean to be a people of grace? What does grace mean? Well, last week I gave us kind of a simplified definition of grace, something that I think we can access together. And grace is whenever something wonderful, unexpected, and unearned comes your way. I shared a little story with you last week that was a personal story. It doesn't have to be something grand and grandiose in order for it to be God's grace. For me, it was the grace of being able to go and see my son Ethan down in Tampa, Florida at the Outback Bowl. It came as a result of a gift from my mom, a wonderful gift that was totally unexpected, completely unearned, that paid the way for Angela and I to be able to go and share that experience with my son. And, and I shared how it was a grace upon grace because the reality was that was probably the last time that we would see Ethan marching on the football field because then the pandemic hit and his whole last season was lost. Well, here's a little grace update. So it turns out that the Gopher football team is going to have a spring game on May 2nd. And they released 10,000 tickets free for people to be able to get. My son Ethan hopped online, scored two tickets for me and my wife to go to the game, and they're going to have the marching band there. (laughs) I know. I know. It's just a simple little thing, but boy, we need those simple little things in our world. Places to go and see God's grace in small ways, in big ways, in ways in your life and the lives of those around us. We want to see that kind of grace at work. That's our hope. And it won't just happen overnight. We have to train ourselves to be able to look for this kind of grace. And we have to expect that just like the seeds that get sown that we talked about last week, it takes time for those seeds to take root and grow and develop and and bring a harvest. It's going to take time, friends. So be of good cheer, even in the midst of the difficulties that we are facing right now. I think any one of us could say that we are seeing, again, such hardship and pain and heartache in our community being expressed in all sorts of ways. It is painful. It is demoralizing. It's heartbreaking. But there are still signs of grace that are at work. Let me point out for you one particular area of grace that we as a congregation get to partner with. We're highlighting some of our mission partners over the course of our sermon series, and today we're talking a bit about Project Hope. Or excuse me, not Project Hope, Project Home. Mission of Hope, Project Home. Keep those straight in your mind. (laughs) 
Project Home. Project Home is a great ministry that we've been able to partner with over the last several years. It's a ministry offered to the homeless in our community, especially in the areas around St. Paul. Families who are in need of shelter and in need of encouragement and in need of a, a hand up to help them move forward in life. And that's exactly what Project Home does. And we've played our part with Project Home in both raising funds and, and purchasing resources for them to be able to work with these families. But also, every December, we would host a number of those families here in our church, like many community churches would do. We didn't get to do that this past winter, and that was a real challenge because everything got shut down. But I've been a part of those times when we have been able to host them here, and, and it's such an incredible experience to go and just spend some time in relationship with these families who, who are so greatly appreciative and, and are working through all of the challenges of life, the difficulties that have been thrown at them that many of us never experience. It's good to be able to share that together with them. Over the course of this last year, they had a, a moment of grace that while they couldn't meet in, in area churches because of the, of the shutdown, they were able to, to host their families in a hotel for the course of most of the year, just a, a space for them to be able to occupy and be and be as family and be cared for and sheltered during this really difficult season. Well, that season is, is wrapping up, and so they're looking to, to go forward into the next season, and the, the next season has brought another opportunity of grace. There's a place called the Providence House, which is owned by the Sisters of St. Joseph of Carondelet. Uh, uh, Sisters of St. Joseph of Carondelet. It's uh, down on Randolph Street, and, and it's a whole section of property, and they have one particular house that has been underutilized by this convent, and and now they are, they are handing that over to Project Home, where they will be able to host 20 families with minors within that facility. And it's a beautiful facility, really well done. Uh, just another place for them to, to work with their rapid transition team to help these families get back on their feet, put away a little nest egg, and then be able to, to move on into to greater abundance in life. That's the hope that we have, the hope that many of us experience, and the hope that we want others to experience too. And we do that together through Project Home. And I'm so proud of this congregation to be a part of doing things like that with the, the most needy, the, the most impoverished people within our community who are often forgotten and left behind. But to go and experience that in our own building is really something. To share in relationship with one another. Because folks, at the end of the day, the, the seeds that we plant, the investments of grace that we make, those investments go into people. They go into people's lives, people who we relate with in our families, in our communities, in our homes, in our schools, in our businesses. It's people and the relationships that we foster. That's the places where we plant those seeds. It's all about relationships. And in those relationships, it's important that we understand the perspective that we are to have on the people we are called to share grace with. And in order to gain some of that perspective, we're going to go to God's Word today. I would invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. If you brought your Bible with you, that's wonderful. You can open up to Matthew chapter 25. If you've got it on an iPad or on your phone or anywhere else, that's great. Open it up to Matthew 25. I'm going to be reading out of the New International Version, starting at verse 31, in this story that Jesus shares. These are the words of Jesus. 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Let's take a moment, just kind of let that word soak in. That's rough. That's a hard word. But believe me, God's grace is at work even in this passage. And I want you to see it and I want us to see it together. Let's start with the setting of what we see at the beginning. Jesus is returning. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Jesus is coming back, okay? That is actually going to occur. And what we see here is a picture of what that looks like as Jesus is describing it. It's a king, a king returning triumphantly. He is surrounded by his angels. He is seated upon a royal, glorious throne. And all the nations are there before him, bowed at his feet. That's the right posture to be in when the king arrives. And this glorious, mighty king comes to establish his kingdom permanently and forever on the earth. This is a revelation of what that looks like. If you read the book of Revelation, especially towards the end in chapters 20, 21, 22, you see these same imagery of God coming in his glory, Jesus coming in power and might. It's a mighty, powerful vision of Jesus. And interestingly enough, this is the last story in Matthew to occur right before Jesus starts down his journey of being arrested and having the powers of the world overtake him. At least, that's what we see. So Jesus paints this picture of a royal return and of the followers around that throne, and then the king speaks to his followers. After separating them out, sheeps 
and goat. Sheep and goats. Sheeps. Sheep and goats. (laughs) After separating them out, and he speaks to one with a word of reward. Blessed are you. This is the kingdom that's been prepared for you since before the foundations of the world. Here it is. And here's why. Because when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. Now, think about it for a second. This should seem strange. That the king of kings, the glorious one, kings who have everything they need and everything provided for them, would be looking at his followers saying, thank you for feeding me that time that I was starving, for bringing me water when I was thirsting, for, for bringing me clothing when I was naked, for visiting me when I was imprisoned and when I was sick. It doesn't make sense, and it shouldn't in that way, because this is a vision of Jesus putting in front of us of the way his kingdom is unlike any other kingdom. It's just different, folks. His kingdom is a different kind of kingdom, and he represents it here when he comes and says, this is what I am saying to you. You visited me in these times. You came to me and cared for me. And the question from those followers is an obvious one. Wait a second. You're the king. When did we ever see you as king of kings, powerful, glorious? When did we ever see you, king, in need and meet you there? And Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. But he even says more than that, doesn't he? He says, whatever you've done for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. Some of you may have witnessed the royal funeral this past weekend of Prince Philip, a really major event, obviously, the longtime husband of Queen Elizabeth. And you may have seen the guest list. It was a small list because in this COVID season, they broadcast the funeral, but only 30 family members were allowed to participate. And, and name after name comes down the list, and you've got the Duke of such and such, and the Prince of such and such, and the Earl of such and such, and the, just right down the list. These are all royalty, all royalty relationships with the Prince and with the Queen. These are his kin that are there. And believe you me, if you treat one of the royal family poorly, the word will get back to the king. The king will find out about it. And this king says, my kin are the broken. My family members are the impoverished are those in need of shelter, are those in need of food and drink and clothing and care and visitation, even in places of incarceration. 
That's the king's relatives. Those are who he identifies as his brothers and sisters. And he says, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. Wow. Wow. Because you see, here's the thing, friends. Until Jesus returns in power, you won't find him among the powerful, but only within the powerless. That's where we find Jesus. When we're looking to see grace in every corner of our community, when we want to go and, and serve others in love, when we want to go and, and listen to their stories, when we want to go and, and, and speak God's word graciously to them, sharing the grace and love of God, where we want to join God in what he is doing in the world. The places we go to aren't the places that are polished. They're not the places that are filled with power and authority. They're not the things that rule from above. They're the places down below. That's where we go to see Jesus. We go to see Jesus in the brokenhearted we go to see Jesus in the humblest of circumstances. Because this is the image that Jesus gives of his return, but, but those who were with him knew the story of his arrival. And of course, us, with the vision of hindsight, know the story. Jesus didn't come to this world royally the first time. He came in a barn. He spent time amongst the poor and the hurting and the hungry and he looked at them and he said, blessed are you, because they weren't the people who people thought should be blessed, but they're the people God thinks should be blessed. We have a value here at CGLC that says Jesus makes us family. It's the first one of our five values here, and it's a good one, and it's a scriptural one, it's a godly one, and it absolutely is true. Because of Jesus, we get to be family with one another. We get to see each other not just as strangers, but, but no matter where we've come from or how we've gotten here, because of Jesus, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. You look around and you see one another and you go, that's my brother, that's my sister, that's my crazy aunt, you know, whatever it might be. But you know, we are in life together. We realize that about each other. We're not perfect, we're broken, but we are family Jesus, in this passage, challenges us to say, yes, it's true. I have made you family, but I have an extended family that's not here. I have an extended family out there. They, too, are my brothers and sisters, and if they're my brothers and sisters, that makes them your brothers and sisters. And that means that if you want to see grace, if you want to see Jesus, you go to those places See, in this world, when, when people see pain and, and, and see tragedy, our tendency is to run in the other direction. But that's not the case for the followers of Jesus. We are called to run into those places. We're called to come in with the light of Jesus into those darkest places, those most difficult and painful areas, and come and say, yes, you are valued. Yes, you are are worthy of honor and grace because I am. And I sure don't have it all figured out either. That's the heart of compassion. 
That's the heart of grace. If we want to see grace in every corner of our community, then we have to be willing to go to every corner of our community, including those places that make us feel uncomfortable. And we have to be willing to look at other people, not with pity, but with a sense of honor, of recognizing that when we honor the other, when we come to them without judgment but with a heart of grace, that that is honoring our Father. That is honoring the King. That is honoring Jesus. And the results are up to him. We don't know where it will go from there. But we do know that that's the attitude of which we are to present ourselves before other people. Maybe you have been a recipient of that grace at some time in your life. Maybe you can attest to what it was like to be in that place of being on the receiving end. It's a humbling experience. But nothing makes that grace more beautiful than when that person comes to share that grace with you and does so in a humble way, in a way that honors you because you are precious in God's sight. That's the attitude that we approach these things with. We need to see others as a part of God's extended family, especially in the hardest places in our community. We have seen some hard places. In this past week, we've seen a, another upheaval within our society, a place where pain is just bleeding all over in the streets, literally, figuratively, spiritually, emotionally, in a community that, that I used to serve over in Brooklyn Center. I served at a church right up the road from, from where all of this is happening, Brooklyn Park Lutheran Church, now Discover Church. We were partnered with other churches in that community trying to, to share God's love, and we did the best we could, and it breaks my heart to see what's happening in that community right now. So this past week, I was invited along with, with pastors from all around the area to join with a group of pastors and, and clergy and leaders from Brooklyn Center to go and pray together, to pray together by the police station, to pray together by the site of Dante Wright's death, to, to pray together in other parks and, and key areas in the community, just to be together and pray, to pray for peace, to pray for justice and for unity, to pray that, that God's will would be done. And as I went there and as I drove there, I thought to myself, Lord, please show me a sign of your grace. Let me see your grace. Lord, I'm preaching about it. <laughs> Help me to see it, Lord, because I'm not seeing it right now. All I see is the heaviness and the darkness and the pain. And as I drove out to Brooklyn Center, I didn't see it. And as I gathered together with those pastors and we prayed together, I, I still wasn't seeing it. And as I left, I drove through the neighborhoods and the places where I had been there before, and I still wasn't seeing it. And I came back to church and came back to my office and just went back to work, still hoping and praying that maybe I would see something. And that's when this post came across my timeline on Facebook. It's a post from a friend of mine, a fellow pastor who used to serve together with me right in that same area in Brooklyn Park and Brooklyn Center. And he was sharing a post from somebody else 
a, photo a photographer who would, videographer and photographer who would take some pictures down in that area. And this, this is what that post said. I'll read it to you. It said, hey guys, a little bit about me. I'm Tanner, and I'm a freelance videographer for a company called Livestorm Media. I currently live in Brooklyn Center part-time due to work. Anyways, I wanted to share my experience last night in the hopes of encouraging you guys. I arrived later than I wanted. Police and protesters were standing off against one another, with the police pushing forward ever so much. Earlier on my way out to the epicenter, I, I prayed that God would show me what his church was doing and where the body of Christ was. As I was heading home for the night after 10.30 p.m., I noticed a church, Lutheran Church of the Master, with its doors open, with protesters and media persons going to and from the building. I pulled into the parking lot and went in and ended up meeting a few of the pastors and asked what was going on there. He told me that they've been open every night since the beginning in order to help anyone in need. Didn't matter who they were, they welcomed everyone in. They had hot cocoa, coffee, some snacks, and people, including all the pastors who would go around and meet those who were seeking refuge in the church. I was shocked and even talked to a few of the protesters who said they felt so loved and seen there. How everyone was so kind to them and it felt like a legit place of refuge. I can't express how great it was to see this type of thing in the community and having God answer my prayer. The answer to his prayer was an answer to my prayer. To see that church in that community, Lutheran Church of the Master, a church that I had partnered with many times over the years, right down in that area, opening their doors each night to just be a place of refuge, a sanctuary place that wasn't going to judge what was going on, just wanted to meet people with God's grace right there in the darkest of times and the most painful of circumstances. Lutheran Church of the Master happens to be another church that's in our association, Lutheran Congregations and Mission for Christ. I'm proud of them, grateful for them and for what they do in the community. There are signs of grace out there, friends. God's grace has not left us. God has not abandoned us. If we have eyes to see and a heart of expectation, we will see grace at work in every corner of our community. And then we can go and we can listen for the stories and we can speak gracefully into those stories, the love of Jesus, of a Savior who came to rescue us from our brokenness and our sinfulness and offer us forgiveness by trusting in him. And then we can join God in the work that he is already doing. That's what God is calling us to. So let's keep looking expectantly. Let's keep listening graciously. Let's keep speaking gracefully. And let's join God in his work of grace in every corner, including the corner that you are called to cover. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, as we see the brokenness of this world, as we see the pain that gets portrayed every night on the news and streams across our social media and comes in through the newspaper and through the radio and through every different media, Lord, we trust, Lord, that that's not the whole story. We trust and know, Lord, that you came to a broken world 2,000 years ago. And you didn't look to avoid those places of pain. You stepped right into them. And if people wanted to find you, Lord, they had to look for you amongst the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners. That's where they went to look for you, Jesus. So it only makes sense, Lord, that that's where you call your body to be present now. That's where you are, Jesus. And someday you will return. And when you do, you will make all things right. But until that day, Lord, give us eyes to see you at work in the most broken of places. Help us to see our neighbor, Lord, not as someone to be pitied, but as someone to be honored, because in honoring them, we honor you. That's what your word teaches us, Lord. When we extend grace, it's because grace has been extended to us. Help us to live into that grace today. Help us to see where you are at work so that we can join you in it, so that we can boldly proclaim, Jesus, that you are Lord, you are Savior, you are Rescuer, you are good. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. And we pray all these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.